Hello, my name is Ran, and this is the Flow Artist Podcast. Every episode, we interview inspiring movers, thinkers, and teachers about how they find their flow and much, much more. If you love yoga, movement, and meditation, then this is the podcast for you. So, happy 2019. I hope you had a great holiday season and you're ready to get cracking into the new year. I know I am. Joe and I had a bit of a review of 2018 and we're really excited about what the new year will bring. Now, if you want to take a look at our review, we put it in the Flow Artist Podcast community group on Facebook, so go and have a look. I'll leave a link in the show notes on our website for that. Now, we've got some really amazing guests and some incredible topics lined up for 2019, so I can't wait to put these episodes out. Today's episode is a recorded conversation between myself, co-host Joe Stewart, and Gina McCauley. Gina is a yoga teacher, a qualified yoga therapist, and the owner of Yoga Hara, a yoga studio out in Bendigo. It's a wonderful conversation, and we learn all about Gina's background, how she discovered yoga and decided it was the path for her. There's also some great information on how Gina runs her yoga studio, including some interesting things she's doing with Facebook Live. We also go in-depth on her adrenal healing workshops. If you heard our interview with Lee Blaschke about a year ago, actually, we talk about this workshop and how modern life can be really taxing on the adrenal system. So this type of practice can be really valuable. Okay, that's enough talking from me. Let's get on to the conversation with Gina. And now this one is on. It's all on. It's all on. All right. (laughs) Hello, Gina Mack. Can I call you Gina Mack? You can call me Gina Mack. Yep, that's my Facebook persona. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thanks for joining us today. It's great. It's great to have you here all the way from Bendigo. Yes, it's not really all the way, but yes. Two hours away, really. Oh, yeah, it's too far away. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. She didn't come here just for us, though, but you know, it's still good to have you here. Yeah, thank you. It's great to be here. I'm very excited about being here. Excellent. Well, perhaps you could start by just telling us a little bit about yourself and where you grew up. Well, mostly in Bendigo. Our family moved to Bendigo when I was maybe five or so. And before that, I lived in Queensland and New South Wales. Uh, I was born in Queensland. Yeah, so Bendigo most of our lives, apart from in about 2001 to about 2003 or four, my husband and I and the family moved to Sydney for a few years with his work, which was great. I loved Sydney. I liked the warm weather. So Sydney was a great change from Bendigo because it gets a bit cold. But yeah, mostly Bendigo most of my life. So how did you discover yoga? Oh, what a question. (laughs) I love everybody's stories to yoga. I love hearing people's journeys to yoga. My mum took me to my first class in about the late 80s-ish, so I would have been in my early 20s. And I don't know where she got the idea from. I'd never really heard of it. Anyway, she dragged me along to this class with this absolutely gorgeous woman and... She was beautiful. I just loved her. I fell in love with her. I think we do we all fall in love with our first teacher, regardless of how good they are. I think some people <laughs> forget about their first teacher oh, and they're no. like, oh, I can't really remember my first class. But, um, yeah. Oh, anyway, I fell in love with her. She was gorgeous. I thought she was ancient. She was probably 40, you know, just as a young person, anybody older than you. You know, anyway, she was lovely. I loved her. And in terms of a style, I don't really know what style it was very blended, which is kind of what I teach. 
But yeah, she had a big influence on me. She just had that yoga glow. Yeah, yeah, she did. And she she wore a onesie, which was awesome. Oh, fabulous. <laughs> I, just, I just thought she was amazing. Any key teachers, including her or other than yeah, her? Yeah, well, I, I guess Shirley, key teacher to get me on that path. I didn't really know what it was all about. I was just doing the stuff and... One of the things I discovered after, so I probably practiced with her for about five years and then she moved away. I really didn't have a regular teacher for a long time after that, but my mum had bought me a book, an Iyengar book, with all the pretty photos of the perfect postures, you know what they look like. <laughs> so I was doing a bit of that and one of the things I discovered, and I really didn't understand this until I did my teacher training, whenever I needed support, whenever something wasn't going right, when you're feeling whatever, I'd had a bit of childhood trauma. So whenever that was making itself known again, I would just roll out this mat and I would either sit on it or lie on it or cry on it or do something from the book. And for some reason, it just soothed me. I just felt like it was something that nourished me. And I I could not explain why or how that did that. But I knew, I just knew it was something special. And so is that feeling what led you to decide to become a teacher? Yeah, well, with Shirley, I like I knew straight away. I thought oh, this would be such an awesome job <laughs> to start with. Which, Get you to know, wear one to work. That naivety, yeah, that naivety. Of, yeah, this would be an awesome job being a yoga teacher. It is a great job. Don't get me wrong, as you guys know, but it's not without its challenges. And I remember asking her about what do I do to be a teacher, and she said something about India, and I completely tuned out. After that, that was the end of it for me. And whatever she said after that, I've got no idea. But that wasn't just not available to me at the time. It's small children and family and work and all of this kind of stuff. And so I just, that left my mind. And then a friend and I, Deb, we would travel a bit. We'd been to India and we'd travelled around with this Tibetan monk and we had done some yoga with him and, and he was amazing. That was Deb's first introduction to yoga. So that was in 2007. In 2008, we were planning on going to Nepal and it didn't happen for whatever reason. We just, you know, there was a bit of unrest in Nepal and we just thought, oh, we didn't feel quite good about it. And my husband and I went to, this is, I'm telling this story, it's very serendipitous, I think, as to how I became a teacher. We went to my brother's birthday party in Coolum and the next morning, my husband and I were just sitting in some completely random cafe in Coolum somewhere. I couldn't even tell you which cafe it was. And my husband sat against this wall of community notices. It is a massive wall of community notices. And right above his head was this little sign for a yoga retreat in Bali. And I, I looked at the sign, I thought, oh. And I rang Deb straight away, like it was 8 o'clock in the morning. I rang her straight away and I said, what do you think about a yoga retreat in Bali instead of Nepal? And she goes, oh, that would be awesome, because she'd started practising yoga since our India trip. And so then I hung up, I rang the woman on the flyer who I had never met, who I never knew, uh, didn't know beforehand, and uh, she said, yeah, no worries, we can, we'll take you, great. So before I'd even ordered breakfast, Deb and I were booked into this yoga retreat. And I'd never been to Bali, I'd never been on a yoga retreat. I hadn't really had any uh, serious teacher prior to Shirley, which would have been almost 15 or 18 years earlier. And we rocked up to this retreat and there were about 20 of us maybe I'm not sure 15 of them I reckon would have been yoga teachers and it just suddenly dawned on me that I could do that like it was just like a bolt of lightning like I can do this it was amazing and 
we befriended this lady, Leanne, who was on the retreat. She was doing the yoga teacher training at the CAE that you and I both did. And so when we left that retreat, I did all the inquiry around my local area, and you know, so I didn't have to travel, try not to travel back and forth to Melbourne as often. But what I knew was that I really really wanted to be a yoga teacher and one of the things that I discovered was a lot of those teacher trainings were they talked a lot about personal development and yes great and I love that about teacher training and the growth that you get but I was interested in teaching you I really wanted to teach yoga and so and Leanne had talked up the course that she had done at the CAE with Lee Bleschke and I just I thought I'm just gonna ring you know, on the off chance that they might be able to do something in Bendigo. So I rang him and Lee answered the phone and I said, you know, is, I don't know how you run the course, but is there a chance that you could run it in Bendigo or regionally? And he just said to me, if you're serious about being a yoga teacher, you will come to Melbourne. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. That was, that was it. Like that was all I needed to hear and that was sold. So then I came down and had my you know, interview and they were just amazing. I loved every single thing about it and I just absolutely loved that course, so, which is where I met Kay Tribe and Janet Lowndes and Lee, of course, and they have an amazing faculty and I just feel very fortunate that I had that opportunity to learn from such a diverse group of teachers and that's how that happened and I think just that moment in that cafe seeing that, I, I don't think anything would have changed if I hadn't have made that shift and had, hadn't have gone to Bali. So that was in 2008. And I just feel very fortunate that I was in that situation and that was quite serendipitous, as I said. And so fortunate for all your I students did. today. Well, yeah, <laughs> <hope>. Yes. <laughs> and so not wanting to spend your life commuting, was that mm. a factor in the decision to open your own studio in Bendigo? Well, that was just an obvious thing to do because that's like, where you live yeah that's because that's where I live and that was easy when I graduated from teacher training Janet Lowndes she had a studio in Dalesford at the time and she invited me to come and teach there and I, I don't really know how long I was there maybe 12 months or so so that was that's a 50 minute drive I just drive back and forth my mum would come with me so we'd moved from her dragging me to yoga to her now coming to my classes which is just lovely it's lovely my mum <laughs> comes to some of my so classes she, yeah, so nice it's great <laughs> So she would drive, we'd drive to Dalesford, you know, once a week. And yeah, so that, that was great for me to have that opportunity to work in a studio. And the, the downside of that for me is not living in the community. It's hard to engage with students, like hard to market yourself and to get students to come along. So, so it's good being in that community, I think, has a real benefit to um, helping build your class numbers so you're just engaging with the community more. and I guess also you're building community with your mm, classes like absolutely that's together. Yeah, yeah totally yeah yeah and so you're also a yoga therapist what yes. was the decision to continue in that direction I just loved learning about yoga I think I started I'm just trying to think when I started yoga therapy I think it was 2013. Oh, it might have been 2012, 2013. I just still was on that. I'm just a total nerd. I was still on that drive to want to know more. I just you know, wanted the info, which is which we go through that phase, I think, when we discover something new. We want to know everything there is to know about it. And that was great. That was just a, a more intimate setting and just a deepening of knowledge. I, I think yoga teachers, you know, most, most teacher trainings that I look at, they have that component of therapeutic yoga. But yoga therapy is moving to that next level of supporting people to their individual wholeness. In case someone has just never experienced it, 
and actually I've never experienced it. <laughs> um, what would the difference be between going to a yoga therapy session and going to a yoga class? Well, to start with, yoga therapy is one-on-one. So if it's there's therapeutic yoga, which is generally a small group of, I don't know, maybe yoga for back pain or something. Whereas even though those people might have that similar condition of back pain, their expression or their experience of it is always going to be different. So that would be a small group and there would be individualised attention within that small group, but there'd be those generalised, these things can help with lower back pain. Whereas yoga therapy is one-on-one and very individualised. So we would take a full history uh, and not just what are your bits doing, (laughs) like very about lifestyle and, and all of that kind of stuff as well. And then just work out what their goal is, why it is they've sought yoga therapy. And sometimes it's for a very specific purpose. And often people who arrive in yoga therapy they're kind of there at their last... They've tried all the conventional everything. treatments. Yeah. Yeah. So they're kind of a bit tired of telling their story so that, you know, when you've told someone your thing a thousand times, like, oh, this is Filled what's going on for yeah. <laughs> so, so, yeah, we do, I just start generally with something, with really, really simple things. I think that's the beauty of yoga therapy. With yoga is it's pretty simple. Like we don't need to be doing super fancy, difficult, challenging like it can be just the simplest things just someone breathing well or feeling into their body simple somatic work rather than being in their head so you know just teaching them some simple tools to move them from their head to their body so yeah I I love yoga therapy and I love seeing people take something on that's oh yeah I loved that I love that practice that was really great and I do that every day and so that's kind of becomes their thing and you can then build on that for them and it'll be so rewarding especially those people that just all the other things they've tried haven't Haven't really worked worked for them to like find that thing that actually helps Helps. yeah yeah and it I had this amazing lady this was quite a few years ago and she just had lower back pain she tried everything she was on drugs painkillers permanently and she rocked up with me and the first thing I noticed was that she had really hyperextending leaks, probably other areas of her body, but what I really noticed were her knees. And so all we did for the first session was talk about how she can unlock her knees. And, and that took a bit of practice to just to encourage her to work out how to unlock the knees. And I thought, oh yeah, that'll be help her, that'll be great. I didn't kind of think it would be life-changing. Well, she rang me a couple of days later after our session and said, oh my God, that was amazing. I have not had any pain in my back since I've been standing with my knees unlocked. Wow. Thought, oh my God, that's so amazing. <laughs> that's amazing. So, yeah. yeah. So it can be something really simple that we... Just that missing puzzle yeah, piece. Yeah. Other health professionals might dive into something really quite deep and it can be something quite simple so it's great that was really rewarding and I guess another aspect of the therapeutic yoga that you do are the adrenal healing workshops Mm. yeah I'm a bit passionate about the adrenal healing that was Lee Blaschke again he developed this beautiful adrenal healing kriya I think I was in his first group when he taught it which was about 2009 or 2010 and I loved it. I just thought this is a great practice. One of the things I really love about, two, two things about the adrenal healing that are just perfect, I reckon. It's a complete practice of yoga. So it has asana, pranayama, meditation, chanting, mudra, and it takes 35 minutes from start to finish. So you can rock up to your mat and, and say, I'm going to do this practice. And it, you know exactly how long it's going to take. There's no fussing about working out what you're going to do. It's like it's, you know, it's going to contain everything you need. And you can just get it done in 35 minutes. So I think that's their real 
you know, bonuses for people who are busy. And the adrenal healing is really focused at people who are busy. Mm. And so like, if someone doesn't know what adrenal, what adrenal fatigue okay. is. Oh, so in, in a very small <laughs> nutshell, <laughs> adrenal fatigue. So the adrenal glands sit just above the kidneys. So they're protected by the rib cage. And so there's a couple of stages in adrenal fatigue. But generally, adrenal fatigue is a cortisol issue, not so much an adrenaline issue. Sometimes it's confused with an adrenaline thing. But there's there's cortisol, and the other one that's affected by adrenal fatigue is DHEA, which is dehydroepiandosterone. We don't really need to know that, do we? (laughs) (laughs) DHEA is enough. DHEA is responsible for all of our sex hormones, basically. So women in particular, they're really affected by that. When DHEA drops down and our sex hormones are just not functioning we kind of we recognize that pretty clearly or maybe it's our partners that recognize it I don't know. <laughs> there should be a certain level of cortisol in the body all the time that that for healthy physiological functioning so in the first stage of adrenal fatigue those levels are elevated so it's like running late for work so you just miss the alarm you push snooze three times instead of twice and you're just that 10 minutes running behind so you kind of got that little bit of a rush on getting brekkie getting shower getting into the car getting to work and you get to work and it's you still get there on time so you're not late but you've had that little bit of heightened energy in the body that gets you there on time that's a great response that's that's good so that's that's what it's for yeah yeah that's right oh i'm late let's get me there oh i've arrived you arrive you get to your desk oh you take a deep breath out you have your coffee or whatever and everything's back on track so those levels drop back to healthy problem is when you're a little bit late every day and that's your everyday thing, or when you're a little bit behind every day, or when you're a little bit, you know, not quite hitting your deadline, not quite hitting your mark, not quite meeting your KPIs if you're in corporate, that's when that's a problem, when you constantly have those elevated levels of cortisol. Just that background that, level of stress. Yeah, yeah and it's like just that little thing. And people might function on that for decades, years and years and years. So they might not recognise it. They might actually think of that, oh, yeah, this is me. I'm, I'm really good under pressure and I get this burst under pressure and great. I'm a multitasker. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah, we wear that like a badge. <laughs> so then what happens is the adrenal glands become fatigued. So they can't produce that elevated amount of cortisol let alone the healthy functioning amount. So then we begin to produce less cortisol. And that's when we have all of those problems of exhaustion, burnout. And so we might hit a wall and we might think, oh my God, I can't even get out of bed. I'm so exhausted. I'm constantly tired. This has been going on for months now. And it's pretty hard to diagnose. I think the, I'm going to go out on a limb and say the medical profession don't diagnose it that regularly and, and have been known Do to say that it doesn't that really it exist. Yeah, yeah. No, not so much. I think it's becoming more. Generally, the pathway to diagnosis is through a allied health professional, so it might be a naturopath. It's diagnosed through a few different tests, but one test is a saliva test. So they can check for levels of cortisol and then ascertain what level you're in, which is what stage of adrenal fatigue you're in. So that's generally the pathway. So the adrenal fatigue CREA, CREA is a practice. A CREA specifically means a practice with a very specific purpose. That's what the word CREA means. So the adrenal fatigue CREA is about slowing down. And it's not slow, but it it has very clear breathing practices and has counting practices that really time what you're doing. So you're not 
you know, rushing through it. And if you, and that's the, and the benefit of knowing it takes 35 minutes. If you do it in 20, you can kind of think, oh, okay, maybe I didn't hit the mark there and I'm just facilitating the problem. So when you pull it back and yeah, it takes 35 minutes to do this practice and it's powerful. I love it. When I first did it with Lee, I went home and I did it for about three months every day and it was just, I loved it. And, and I think I loved having something very clear to do. It was like being given a very specific practice. That in itself, I think helps when you're trying to do something to heal yourself, but not really sure about it. You might rock up to a couple of classes a week and you might pull out a couple of poses out of those classes but you're not really sure how to sequence them and you're not really sure you know when to do them so the adrenal practice is just very yeah very specific practice it's great so it helps with all of that when you went to that first session was that because you recognized in yourself that it's something that you might have needed or just because um, you were interested in Lee as a teacher I, I and interested in learning all more? of that yeah both both I, I probably didn't realize I needed it when I rocked up because <laughs> <laughs> that's just what everyday life feels yeah. like yeah. yeah and I'd just come off you know two years of teacher training but I I recognized how beneficial it was for me when I started practicing it so that really changed how I practiced, I think, too. Maybe not when you did the initial workshop, but definitely now, like you've got a family, you yeah. run your own business, yeah. you run a studio <laughs> and quite a multifaceted yeah. studio. Other mm. than this practice, is there anything else that you do in your daily life that really does feel like it helps you enjoy life enjoy and life. function really well and do all the um, things that you need to do without depleting yourself? Oh, gosh, I don't know. If I can look at myself that objectively, <laughs> I kind of think I'm a bit crazy and out of control some of the time. I think um, maybe even just like acknowledging that. Yeah, as well I, think, as also yeah I think that's it. I'm pretty good at self-care. So I have a few things that I really like to do. And I have a, a massage, you know, once a month. I've got a, a delightful, delightful little granddaughter. So she just lights my life. That's lovely to spend time with her. Kids bring everything back to a really simple level is and that's beautiful but I think as a yoga teacher and a studio owner and all of their things the labels that we wear a personal yoga practice I just can't say how important that is in words that it is imperative that if you're doing out there in the world doing that work you must have a personal practice and I'm not talking I don't know any of my peers who get up at you know, five o'clock in the morning and do a 90 minute practice and then whatever. You know, sometimes for me, it might be five or 10 minutes on the mat. And sometimes, you know, it might be an hour. It just you know, depends. And that a lot will depend on the day. On a Thursday morning, I have a 6am class. So I'm up at five. You know, I do a five minute sit before I walk out the door and then I'll come home and do something else after the class. But I think it, yeah, imperative that we're doing a personal practice. That's what nourishes us. And, that, and we can't stand up there and say, this is going to nourish you if we're not doing, doing it ourselves. It's that kind of like you can't pour from an empty cup. That's kind of exactly thing. right. Yep. Yeah. I find as well when my personal practice, when I'm not as diligent with it, it's much harder to find the inspiration in class mm, to teach. Totally, yeah. Yeah, I get that too. Sometimes, you know, in personal practice, especially when I'm just being really present and just going with whatever's coming, something beautiful might come and I'll, I can just, oh, I'm, that was really great. I'll just jot that down quickly and then just you know, maybe continue my practice. But, yeah, exactly. That inspiration just comes from that space that we give when we let all of those thoughts in our mind settle. It's beautiful. 
Hello, Ran here, just popping in for a quick break. I just wanted to let you know about some amazing events going on at our studio, Garden of Yoga. We have suspended sound on Sunday the 20th of January at 10am. This is an amazing two hour long exploration of sound and silence, movement and stillness. Kelly from Kindred Souls Collective and our own Joe Stewart come together for this unique event that will have you floating in an aerial hammock bathed in a harmonic symphony of vibrations of sound and ancient healing energy from Tibetan singing bowls. You can probably hear them right now. Now there's only a couple of spaces left so get in quick. I'll leave a link in the show notes. And we also have Beyond Asana, the journey of awakening via Tantra Yoga with former guest of the podcast, Kara Leah Grant, on Saturday the 19th of January at 1.30pm. This will be an incredible afternoon of Tantric Yoga practice and I'm really looking forward to attending myself, so hopefully I'll see you there. Again, I'll leave a link in the show notes, so book in now. Alright, that's more than enough from me, let's get back to the conversation with Gina. Something that I've really noticed looking at some of your teaching videos and that I've really heard other people mention about your teaching is you've got a really beautiful balance of like that felt somatic experience and just tuning into what's going on, but also a really solid grounding in functional anatomy Uh, and giving people really clear cues to kind of help them navigate. That's thanks to Kay Tribe. She's an amazing anatomy teacher and I feel very fortunate to have been part of her world. But she, yeah, she taught me my love of anatomy. But what she also taught me was that it doesn't need to be complicated. We don't need to be giving people complicated instructions. And it is hard finding a balance. Sometimes I might go a bit overboard with the anatomy and sometimes not so much. But if I'm looking at the group and I know the group and I know that the majority of them are health professionals, I might give a little bit more anatomy. If I know most of them are not, then a lot less anatomy. But yeah, I I think anatomy is useful for people to know where their bits are, to work out where their bits are in space and to know what their what their bits are. So, you know, in terms of when I think of alignment, I have this weird thing going on in my head because I'm not a fan of those really strict alignment traditions because mm. I think they're, well, they've been dangerous for me. In my body, I've injured myself in some of those styles that have been very much about your bit must be here <laughs> and you're not <laughs> like allowed foot to move must be it. on this angle, and other foot on this yeah, angle. Yeah, 93.75 degrees or else. <laughs> And that's, that's injured me in the past. But I am very much about teaching people about their own structure. So giving them permission to explore their own structure. So generally speaking, this is a safe position for your knee. Generally speaking, this is a safe position for your shoulder or your elbow or whatever, or your pelvis in particular. But what is it for you? So giving that kind of general sense of good for your knee to be here, but with your structure, what, what feels right? And so giving them that instruction and then allowing them the space and freedom to discover that for themselves and what feels right for them. And I'm very much about, as you said, that somatic kind of sense and embodied sense of practice. It's not about teaching a pose. It's always about teaching a student. You're teaching a person. So every single person is different. And for the most part, you actually don't know what's going on for them. So you need to be able to give them enough space to embody their own uniqueness in their own way, in their own felt sense of it, but also give them enough container to feel safe 
Now, it is a bit of a tricky thing. I think that comes with experience and that also comes from your own personal practice in discovering that for yourself. I think as well, like when you find that balance of kind of bringing someone into their own experience, like that's meditation yeah, as well. Absolutely. And that's, that's the definition of yoga, isn't it? Yoga isn't fitness, workout, you know, asana so much. Yoga is this integrated approach, a whole this wholeness to find our wholeness. And I think it's being comfortable enough standing in front of a room of people or in front of a video camera yeah. to not feel like you have to fill all of that space with words yes. to give people that space. Oh, that's that the space. biggest challenge for new teachers, I think. I think we all rock up and just talkity talk, talk, talk <laughs> because we're a bit uncomfortable with the space. But as a student, I discovered I love the space. I love a spacious teacher. You asked me before about my main teachers I said mentioned Shirley Paul Wooden is probably my main teacher now he's an incredible teacher he's very spacious so he's very minimalist everything is just stripped right down so there's no fuss or anything with Paul and I I love that about him it's not something it's not a way I'm comfortable teaching but I think there is this lovely space between overdoing it and, and kind of what Paul does that I sit comfortably in where it's just a nice, I don't know, it feels nice for me and I think for people to have that time to explore their own way of wanting to move or not move, if that's the case maybe, if that's what they need for that day, I think is, is a tricky line but that takes practice. Paul's taught me that really well because, you know, he has lots of space and sometimes uncomfortable space and that is your greatest teacher, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I guess this kind of leads into something pretty unique that you do at your <laughs> studio. Um, I want to make sure that I get the name right. Is it Yogahara at Home? Yeah. So it's yep. your online videos that you yeah. do for people. Yeah. And it's so nice because I think some studios might kind of see home practice as taking away from an opportunity for someone oh, to come to class yes. no and you've made it really affordable as well so do well, I think a bit yeah. more about that I am happy to, happy to talk about yoga hara at home as I've said personal practice home practice imperative and as a student that's the next natural progression and and I find people would say hey I don't know what to do I don't know you know how to do it and I don't know how long and people often ask me how long should my home practice be as long as you want that's a really easy answer. It doesn't matter how long it is. It's the intention of getting on your mat. And even if you get on your mat and you sit there for two minutes and then you go, oh, that's, like, that's a massive step towards moving towards a home practice. And usually once so, you're on there, you stay longer than two minutes. Right. And yeah. you start doing something. Oh, I remember that weird thing, the cat-cow thing she always does. She likes that. I'll do that. And so then they might move to, oh, and then from here it's easy to move into a downward, you know, dog or something. So once you get on the mat, that happens naturally. But so Yoga Hara at Home came about because in our previous venue, we couldn't have classes over the holidays. So we were worked in school terms. So on the over the big Christmas break, I just thought, how can I support yeah, these break. people? Yeah, yeah, it is. It was six weeks. How can we support people at home? Because they're saying, oh, can't you do yoga somewhere else? And I know we did these um, for a long time. I did free yoga in the park over Christmas as well. So I just we was trying to work out how I could possibly make that happen. And that was around the same time that Facebook Live started coming out. So I just thought, I'm just going to try this. I think I charged them, not very much, $25, I think it was for a four-week program. And I think I committed to, over the four weeks, maybe two or three classes a week. Then I gave, I gave them the schedule in advance so they knew when I was going to be live so they could, could join me live or they could watch it later. 
And so at the end of the four weeks, they had whatever they had, 12 practices or whatever. And that was great fun. It was it was fun. It was funny. <laughs> like, <laughs> there were lots of little hiccups and things that I learned heaps from by doing that. It, I remember one uh, was a live video and I could see out my window that my dog had escaped our house. <laughs> so I just said, okay, so in here you go. I think they were in Cat and Go. Just keep doing this. I said, I'll be back in a moment. <laughs> Got the dog back in, came back in. said, okay. <laughs> so, yeah, all those kind of mishaps happen. But it was just good fun. And those people were people that knew me. So they were easy with it. it. That was fun. They had a little bit of me in their lounge room, which they were happy about. And it meant they could continue their practice. But because they loved that so much, then I tried to work out, well, how can I make this really work for everybody? And I think I just called that Yogahara Live or something. And so then, uh, then I thought, okay, I need to be able to support people in the home practice better. And because people really liked that, we started this Yogahara at home. So not all the videos are live now. I'm just technology is done me undone a little bit a couple of times with the live so there's a mixture of live videos and recorded videos and they are about they are just me being me so there's there's no high production there's just me and my you know the silly things I say when I might say your hams meaning your hands and your arms or something or your harms is another thing I say (laughs) put your harms in the air so it's just me doing my weird thing but what it's really about is the home practice so it's not a whole heap of 60 75 minute practices there's no complicated practices there's no handstands there's nothing like that it's all really simple practices that people can get up in the morning they range between five minutes and an hour with the average being around 20 to 30 minutes so they can get up, do their couple of little things. They might choose to do two five-minute videos. They might do a meditation and a pranayam, or they might do a simple vinyasa and a meditation or something. And then they're off for their day. And it's great. And I deliver it through a, a secret group on Facebook. And it's easily accessible which makes it really affordable so yeah I'm not so you're spending not paying money. for hosting yeah, or I don't a separate have to pay website for anything, anything like that at this point I have been looking into into that I've got a few people who've joined the group who I don't know <laughs> I know it's a bit weird and a bit scary <laughs> I think oh, I wonder what they think of me with my silly ways but anyway well obviously they're into to, it because they've yeah, signed up <laughs> that's true so it's like yeah do I need to make this more professional and I have been looking at that but I'm, I'm kind of undecided yet. There's Facebook is great, but it's not ideal. It's not perfect. There's, it has a few downsides which are a little bit problematic. So you can't save a practice, and as soon as somebody comments on a practice, it goes to the top of the feed. So you know you've got to scroll through a whole feed of videos to try and find the one practice you like. So that's that searching isn't available. So there's a few downsides to it, but in general. You know, it's it's a great platform and means it's really quite cheap for me to be able to deliver that, which is good. And that's all, that's all I wanted. It's just really focused around people spending 10 minutes, 5 minutes, 20 minutes a day doing something, anything. Yeah. And so did you find that your – actually, it doesn't sound like your approach to teaching changed that much when you put it onto video, but I'd imagine especially things like – a lot of people, when they make a video, it's like they just want to deliver that information really quickly, mm. but you deliver it like someone is doing the practice with you, like you leave yeah. space. Yeah, well, I guess that's just how I teach. The, the really challenging thing for me is I rarely 
doing anything when I'm teaching a live class. I'm yeah, really on my demo mat. everything yeah, in a video. So in a video, I'm doing everything. I'm doing the whole practice and trying to talk. <laughs> you don't realise how hard that is. And especially on, the, on video days where I might be doing a few, you know, six videos in a day or something, I'm exhausted at the end of that because I've done all, all of the practices. But, yeah, I think, I think that's a really – I think that's just how I teach that space that's what yoga is about for me and you know I struggle with fast hard or practices where I can't breathe and I've been to plenty of classes like that where you know you're trying to catch your breath and I remember in one class I'm not going to mention the brand name but uh, I dropped to my knees in child's pose for because I was exhausted I needed a breath and the teacher's like a oh my god a sergeant major I got into trouble for being in child's pose yeah I know I think I won't be coming back to this class (laughs) (laughs) so yeah I was like no that's that's not that's not me so I think that's just my interpretation of practice should be should have space for self-inquiry that's the essence of, you know, Kriya Yoga, Tapa Svadhyaya, Ishvara Pranidhana, you know, that self-inquiry, Svadhyaya. Nice. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's interesting you mentioned, you know, sometimes you might say a word wrong and that, and that <laughs> sort of thing. And I don't think that thing really matters. And I actually think mm. that, you know, people really appreciate authenticity and, yeah. and that rawness and that sort of, I guess, live quality. So, yeah. Yeah, no, I think it's really good what you're doing. I think that's the advantage. That's the benefit of it, or that's the the niceness of it, I guess, that authenticity. It Mm. it does make me laugh. And my husband's pretty funny as well because he'll say, oh, that's a new word. I say, yeah, I'm going to own that word, made up word. (laughs) Patent it or try it. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of interesting. I think a lot of people see online video as more of a tool to bring people to their studio and to yeah, introduce okay. people to their teaching, but yep. you're, like, yeah, it's the opposite it's, approach. Yeah, it's, a, it's an extra step for my students. So that's how it started. So it's kind of cool that other people who I don't know, I had someone, this was just so surreal. I was just at, a, at a, an event with my mum and this woman kind of said, oh, I just wanted to introduce myself on such and such and I've just been doing your online program <laughs> I just wanted to meet you I was like, that's awesome yeah. Yeah. she said I see I see you every day <laughs> and that was just quite surreal it's like this woman I've never met before it was lovely it was lovely yeah we're just starting to get that type of thing with us in the podcast sort yeah. of just meeting people yeah. And unexpected, oh, we're usually yoga studios, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's pretty much all we do. <laughs> yeah. But I remember a while back, I actually asked on Facebook, I was asking for tips about my family-friendly yoga class. Yes. And I think uh, you offered some really good advice And as you're doing community classes yeah. at your studio. Would you like to talk about that? Yeah, uh, the community yoga program at Yogahara is something that I'm very passionate about. Um, we're actually reframing it for 2019. We started that five or six years ago, maybe. But our community yoga program is a donation-based class where Anybody can come. We welcome anybody and we encourage families. So it's often marketed as a family class. And all of the money that's donated, we donate to a chosen charity for that term. So it kind of ticks a few boxes for us. In terms of our teaching staff, um, you know, that important practice of saver, so of selfless service, giving back, it helps with those people who can't afford a full price class. So we're very happy to be able to say, well, come along to this class. You can make a donation. Whatever you can afford is great. 
and it's giving back to our community. So, and we, we tend to go with really grassroots local charities like the local scouts or guides or something. And there's a few different charities. I think over the years we've been running it, I think we've, uh, I'm not 100% sure off the top of my head, but I think it's about thirteen or $14,000 we've donated to local charities in Bendigo, just with that community program. It's great. I, I love it when kids are in the class. So the thing, the other thing about our community classes is they're quite relaxed and laid back. So we do really encourage anybody to come Everybody is welcome. Um, so we have kids. Sometimes we, you know, a family might bring two or three kids and they might range from two to ten or something. And so it's, you know, chaotic and gorgeous. I just pull all the props out and the kids will be somewhere and kids... Making a bolster fort yeah, or something. Yeah, or a block fortress are awesome. Like some <laughs> of the block fortresses we've had in community yoga have been fantastic. I don't teach the kids. So we teach the adults but the kids can do whatever they like. And if they're, you know, tweens, sometimes they'll be sitting on the mat, just bored <laughs> or doing whatever. Sometimes I'll get up and do a few practices and there's that kind of moving between the two. I don't get too hung up on what the kids are doing. And the other thing that I do is everybody who comes to the class knows this is the nature of the class. And I just say, so we have some little people with us today and let's just, let's just revel in their joy and their laughter and as we're practicing let's not take ourselves too seriously as we're watching them stack up their blocks and knock them down and and I, I remind them of that when we get to shavasana so you know part of this practice is about welcoming everything as it is everything is welcome we're not trying to not experience anything yoga is you know it's, it's this tantric practice of welcoming everything everything's available uh, and welcome and so, you know, these kids are going to be doing their thing. Let's just lie here and enjoy that. Enjoy that sound. Enjoy the space. Enjoy this, you know, kind of sense of stillness we can have after our practice, which our practice gives us anyway, regardless of the circumstances. So I think it's a beautiful learning opportunity for people just to welcome in the things that might annoy them a little bit. <laughs> to be okay with being a little bit annoyed. <laughs> We've got a class at the moment where a lady brings a little baby and it's a daytime class, so the age group is slightly older. <laughs> we're just we're just loving this little baby in the class. It's just a delight. Yeah. So it's a lovely thing just to remind people that everything's okay as it is. We don't need to fix or change anything. Yeah, nice. Mm. Yeah, and in my family friendly class I, I did try and sort of put that out yeah. there as well and yeah it was it was really chaotic it, there'd be sort of waves and lulls it's mm. sort of quite interesting yeah. to just see the progression of the class and the, they often did actually settle down yeah. a bit during shavasana yeah was, yeah really yeah. interesting yeah you know the, the kids are great i think they're great in the class and the community class is a great idea you need a functioning studio to make that viable so it's not that not your first option, I don't think, unless you're planning on doing yoga as a charity. It's not going to make you a living, but uh, it's just something that's great that we can give back. Mm. Yeah. And do you always teach the community one? No, no. That's that's probably the biggest challenge. That kind of fits in t- under that studio owner hat. <laughs> of We invite all of our teachers to offer one class a term. Some are not available, and I totally respect that, and some will offer three or four classes a term, and that's great. When it all falls to me or to the studio in it that's really hard work if it's for us every it's a Sunday so every Sunday morning if it falls to the one person that 
it doesn't really make the program viable. Like it's not, it doesn't tick the boxes. It means, you know, sometimes I have to cancel classes and, I you know, I don't want to do that. So it needs the participation of the whole of the studio faculty to support making the program work. So we just, as I said, we're looking at kind of revamping it slightly for next year. Because I think often a lot of studios do it when they also run a teacher training program and yeah. they'll get the teacher trainees yeah. to teach, to teach it. it. Yeah, yeah. well, that, that would be a good opportunity for them for teaching as well, for that supervised teaching. Although also it's actually one of the more challenging types of classes to teach. When uh, there's lots of different people. Yeah, yeah. so yeah, why not mm. chuck them in the deep end? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it is, it is, look, it can be challenging. And I think people who aren't comfortable with teaching kids yoga, you know, your interview with Lorraine was <laughs> inspiring, but it is so not for me. Like I know straight up teaching kids yoga is not for me. I think we know that, you know, where our, where our thing lies. That's why I really don't do much with the kids. So, you know, I'm teaching the adults, but we have people who love teaching kids. And that's, you know, when they come in and they get a different class when they've got a different teacher to me with the community and there's kids. I'd really like to explore into a little bit more about what it is like being a studio owner <laughs> as well as a yoga teacher yeah. and the process of setting up your studio yeah. and maybe sharing some of the things that have really worked for you. Yeah, yeah, great. Small business people, I think, are crazy. Like, really, let's face it, to run a small business, you're a bit weird, I reckon. <laughs> it's really hard work. I think the really important thing to know straight up is that Running a business is not teaching yoga and to understand that those are two very, very separate things. And if you go into it thinking that running your business is just teaching yoga, then you're going to be disappointed and probably financially worse off. But if you go into it with this understanding that you need to understand how to run a business and do your thing, whatever that thing, whether it's yoga or something else, then I think you're, you're a little bit ahead of the eight ball. I was really fortunate when I started. I have this really incredible relationship with my chiropractor, Andrew Cameron, and he said to me, I've got people who I want you to teach. He knew me, he trusted me, and he's you know got people who are working with very specific things. And he also knew of my philosophy around Ahimsa and those kinds of things. So we don't have a single class at Yogahara that does not talk about Ahimsa. That's primary in every class and he'd said to me I've got people I want you to teach so I think my first this is before, you know while I was still doing teacher training my first class so he arranged all of that and he set me up with these these groups of people to teach and some of those students still come to me I was 10 years ago and so he was instrumental in helping me feel confident with what I was doing and what I could do and that I could support these people and the other thing which I think is really powerful in terms of having a good referral network is that those people come to you already qualified so they're not cold they're not rocking up in your studio for the first time they've been told by somebody so I've got I've got a great couple of great physios uh, psychologists and chiros that refer to me and so they rock up already knowing a little bit about me that someone they respect has referred them to me and that that person thinks that I would be able to help them or that I'll you know yoga would be good for them or that what I offer would might be good for them so they already come in with a little bit of this is going to be good for me. So it's not cold, which is great. So if you can set up a referral network early on, that is, I can't talk up how beneficial 
that is. And that's that was instrumental in getting me started. And then Andrew, he was running, just running all of that through his business. And so then we just decided to separate them out. So he just stayed doing his specialty. I went off and did my specialty. And so he's still a great supporter. And as I said, I've got a couple of physios now that I work with that send me people. So they're people that are in that transition. They might be not in any acute phase, but they need to start to begin rebuilding some part of them or just to you know less stress or whatever their thing is and and a couple of psychologists that are really great people to refer to and I think that's really good in having that network as a studio owner to start with and also for you to be able to send people back to yes. them oh absolutely yeah 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 so I yeah so I've got these people that I can say oh yeah they'll say I've got this thing going on in my knee I said oh well you know who have you seen maybe go and see this person about that and yeah so that's that's great to have that venues are often tricky so I started as I think we all do in community centers and that is just hard work carting your gear and setting up the room one of the community centers I've worked in at the start was there were often parties and 21st and things so you'd oh, rock so up, to like clean yeah, you'd as rock well. up oh. on a Monday morning and there'd still be you know helium balloons half yeah. hanging in the air or go down through Ashton Garson or something you got that beer smell of the carbon uh, as you come yeah. back up there was a bit of that happening early on <laughs> Uh, and then I, I found a, a venue that I could have as sole use, but was still relatively casual basis. But at least I was the only one in there. I could keep my equipment there. And it was only last year that I found the venue that I'm in now, which I just love. And this is the wild thing about it. It was where Shirley Murray was, where I did my very first yoga class. Oh, yeah. meant so to it's be. Like, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> as soon as I saw it was up for rent, I thought, that's got to be the one. I'd been looking for a couple of years for my own venue. So we've got this lovely venue now, which I love. But So that's a challenge. So when you move to that, when you move from that kind of community centre environment, which might be paying on a per class basis, whatever it is, $40 a class, to a permanent venue where you're paying rent for 365 days a year and you're not teaching all those days and for a lot of the time the studio is empty. So daytime classes are a challenge to fill and... Your nighttime classes are always full and so there's that balance between how do we get this lovely distribution of people through all the classes and get it more viable. So you've got to be a little bit creative on what you might offer during the day. We hire the space out as well to like-minded, not other yoga teachers, but kind of like-minded things. So we've got a few people who might offer meditation or other kinds of things that... So that helps, you know, to pay the rent. The other key thing about setting up a studio is understanding that it's going to cost you probably three times more than what you think. <laughs> like, seriously. Yeah. yeah. The expenses, there's just expenses you just do not think of and they're just, they pile up. So, yeah, everything we do now has a monthly subscription. So my accounting software is zero monthly subscription. My, you know, booking mm-hmm. software, monthly subscription. Everything has a monthly subscription. You're just putting $20, $20, $20, $20 on top of it. It adds up. So all of that kind of stuff. And so I run a business full time, nine to five, and then I go out and teach yoga at night. That's the reality of what, what mm-hmm. it is. So, you know, there's a lot of time running the business and marketing and working out how to reach people and how to support people and that's just one of the constant things with every small business owner I think Mm. and if you realize that's what you're doing at the very start then I think you're you're a foot ahead I think that's great advice yeah Yeah. with say you're renting this space yep you want to fill it you are busy running a business so you can't teach all of the classes 
So it's a bit of a decision as well to bring in other yeah. teachers. Yep. And also, how do you decide what you're yeah. looking for in another teacher? <laughs> yeah, that's that's a challenge. We have amazing teachers at Yogahara. All of the teachers that they've kind of just come my way, really, at the right time. And they're all amazing in their own way. And one of the things that I, I really am big on is I don't really want anybody that teaches like me. I don't want a whole heap of clones of me. That isn't, I mean, it's not really viable in terms of a business, but all of the teachers at Yogahara, they all have their own unique way, their own unique style. And we kind of embrace that. But in terms of finding them, that's a challenge. And it's a bit of a challenge in a smaller town. So I think if we had had a teacher leave recently, a gorgeous teacher who we're all very sad about her leaving, but to replace her has been a challenge. And I often think, oh, if I was in Melbourne, there's so many teachers I could invite to come and teach. But anyway, it's been a bit harder. But one of the things that has made it challenging for me is that I insist that all of our teachers be members of Yoga Australia. And because there's not a lot of Yoga Australia members in Bendigo, that's kind of been a, been hard for me. But I'm really passionate about having a certain level of understanding of yoga. So I'm not saying they have to be trained in all of these things. One of the great things that Yoga Australia does is it looks at everybody's training, no matter what kind of training they've had, and decides where they can fit in. So even you might have done you know a long training with personal kind of mentorship with a teacher so you're going to stray can accommodate that as well but what it what they do is it it just sets a minimum standard and I think that is so important so important they also say that you should have a certain minimum level of personal practice so when I'm looking at teachers they need to be members of Yoga Australia so for me it means I don't have to be following them up for CPD or first aid and that kind of stuff so that's a good business thing to have off my plate and it means I know they've done a, at least a 12-month certain... Like know, a 350-hour training. training. Yeah. yeah. And the other thing that they... I'm really big on them, they have to be doing a personal practice. I don't want any of my teachers rocking up at class to do their practice. That is not on. So I, I think that's... In, and I've been to classes where I've just had a teacher in the front of the room doing her own thing, talking as she does it, not a single eye on a student. I, I, don't, I don't want that. I don't want that in my studio. If you're teaching in my studio, you're teaching these people and you're doing your personal practice at home. And you know if they're not doing a personal practice. So, again, that whole personal practice thing coming back, mm. uh, that's really important. So there's a few, few things that I, I look at for that. And so do you drop into your teacher's classes every now and again? I do every or? now and then. It's, it's pretty funny when I do that I don't think I'm all that scary but (laughs) (laughs) but some of them are a little bit uncomfortable some of them are very comfortable which is great it's but and that not for any you know really I go to their classes because I want to go to a class too that's you know that's a great thing to do I think as well doing it enough that it doesn't feel like a scary kind of assessment it's like a way to have a lovely community between Mm. teachers in a studio and kind of be inspired by each other yeah 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 and we I encourage all of the teachers to come along to classes like they can come to any any class they want for free so it's part of their package I guess if you want to get all corporate <laughs> so you know that's great if they can come along to other teachers classes and that supports that community as well and it's nice I think if you're a student you see your teacher in it's a good endorsement well, yeah. yeah 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 and so I guess this is a question I would be asking on behalf of say a new teacher mm-hmm. who doesn't know you who has the relevant qualifications yeah what else do you look for in a teacher? Like say they're writing that cold email. What I'm looking for is that that email is not cold. So they should have rocked up to my studio at some point. You know, I get people cold calling me a bit. And if they've never been in my front door, 
they have no idea what we're about or, or what I would expect of them. It's like, You're how would they even know, even know what to work there? That's exactly mm-hmm. right. So my biggest, my biggest thing and I is if you're applying for a job in a studio, you start going to their classes and not just one class, but go to a few of their classes, check out all of their teachers, see what they're offering, if it's going to resonate with you, if you can offer something in their ethic range, I guess, in, the, in what they teach or whether you're going to offer something a little bit different. You know, that's something that you can say, I've been to these classes and I think I could offer this to support. I get that a bit and it, it's, I've got to say, it's a little bit annoying when these people have never been to any of my classes never, and I don't even know them. Yeah. I used to have a tiny studio in a garage that held three people and yep. I get these international teachers emailing me to run workshops yep. there and it's like have you uh, ever looked at my website yep. <laughs> do you want three people in the workshop like that's what I do yeah now that's the thing that probably annoys me the most when I get those emails is oh. there anything else that you'd like to to finish I always really want to honor and thank my teachers and so you know Shirley to start with Lee Blaschke has just been so incredible he's an amazing person and teacher and yogi and influencer in this area in, in, in Australia for yoga teaching and yoga therapy and yeah, he's been an incredible teacher for me. Janet Lowndes and Kate Tribe, both incredible inspiring women that just feel very fortunate to be part of their world and uh, Paul Wooden who is so inspiring and, and yeah I, I wouldn't be doing this if it wasn't for any of those people really but, but Paul really helped me to embody my practice so I always want to honour honor my teachers. Um, I think they've been yeah, it's a great thing to do. Beautiful. And I do have one more question. Mm-hmm. So if you could distill all your teachings, everything you've learned <laughs> and everything you like to bring out to the world to one core essence, what do you think that thing would be? We save the best for last. I was just going to say, you should have asked me that at the start, then I could have spent the hour talking about <laughs> um, Authenticity. I think that is a pretty simple way to be in the world, Yeah. And if it's not feeling, if you're not feeling it, if it's not feeling right for you, if it's not feeling good, if you don't feel authentic doing it, then it's probably not the right thing for you to be doing. And equally when you're in a class, if you're not getting that kind of authentic kind of sense of being honoured and seen, then yeah. For example, someone yelling at you in child pose. Yes, 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 get up. It's not time for to stop yet. Oh, I didn't say you could rest yet. Whoa. I know, no, freaky. Yeah, I've had some scary classes. But those teachers also, the scary teachers, have taught me just as much almost mm. as what the other ones have, you know, the great ones have in terms of what not to do, <laughs> how not to be, how not to teach, how not to treat your students. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for talking with thank us you. today. It's yeah, been absolutely thank you so much fantastic. Ah, oh, it's been great. It's been great coming. Thank you. And that concludes our conversation with Gina. I hope you enjoyed it. I got a lot out of it myself, and now that Joe and I have been working with Garden of Yoga for a few months, I can really appreciate the amount of effort that goes into running a yoga studio. For our next episode, we have some incredible guests that I'm really excited about. Anthony and Dominique Salerno, the amazing faces behind Australian Yoga Academy. AYA is where I did my own teacher training, so I've been dying to talk to these guys for ages, and I'm glad we finally did. They're extremely open with us, and I think I learned a few things about them that I didn't know before, so look out for that one in a fortnight. As always, the theme song is Baby Robots by Ghost Soul and used with permission. Get his music from ghostsoul.bandcamp.com. You know you want to. Alright, thanks so much for listening. See you again in two weeks. Aroha nui. Big 
big love. <laughs>